0: To end the word with Pastor Don Haskins, where we open up the Bible to see what God's word says and how it might apply to our lives. Our prayer is that you allow Jesus to change you from the inside out. And now, today's lesson.
1: Last week we talked about in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. You remember Paul was talking about how um, the churches up in Macedonia. You remember he was talking about how poor they were. They were very poor. They're very destitute. And uh, Corinth on the other hand. This is a letter written to Corinth. And so Paul is reiterating you know, uh, to the Corinthians who he wrote the letter to. And he was in Macedonia at the time. And he's talking about the things that are happening in Macedonia and how much they're giving and the whole idea behind this passage these two these two chapters here um it, they have to deal with the subject matter is giving, and if you're here and you're or you're listening to this um, uh, for the very first time, know this: we only talk about money and giving when it comes up in Scripture. I just think that it's it's wise to not focus on pet topics, and so it's the reason why we go verse by verse through the Bible because I don't want to be tempted to uh, teach on something that I feel more comfortable with uh, than and and then stay away from those areas that, to me, they're very uncomfortable to talk about. And I think that that's a, a safe way of, of looking at and, and working our way through the Word of God. I think that the unsafe way, I think that there are some that, that stay away from the very difficult topics of Scripture. And I think that in many instances, that's kind of what's happened with the church. The church is, has stayed away from the difficult topics because, well... We don't want to confuse anybody, we don't want to step on anybody's toes, we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, we don't want to offend anybody, and so we'll just stay completely away from those topics, and what we'll do is we'll only talk about the things that make us feel good. And that's never been, I believe, what Christ would ever want us to be. Uh, Jesus did not just speak feel-good things. Uh, the things that Jesus spoke oftentimes were very offensive. So that Some of the things that Jesus said were very much uh, direct uh, directed to the heart of man and the sinful heart of man. And it's in that that if we are not careful, we can uh begin to teach and we can begin to look through the word of God in such a way that is not getting the full counsel. And that's the thing that I love about Paul. If there uh, other than Jesus, my favorite character in all of scripture is Paul. I love Paul. His his life is somebody that I am fascinated by. His life, I'm fascinated by it. His character, I'm fascinated by it. I've done a couple of classes in Bible college on the life, the character life study of Paul. And it's a fun study to go through and to see Paul's life and why he says the things that he says and why he did certain things that he did and and paul uh, was was a a man that was passionate for the lord and and yet uh, there's something that Paul said you know to the Ephesians uh, when he was leaving them what he feared to be the very last time. he thought, you know in my lifetime, this is probably the last time that I'm ever going to see you in ephesus and he says There's one thing that I can honestly say. I have not shunned to declare to you the full counsel of God. The full counsel of God. And that means, the full counsel of God means that he's even encroaching into those difficult areas of study. Those difficult areas that are not fun to talk about. To me, this is one of those subject matters. I don't... I'm not comfortable talking. I, I, I'm comfortable talking about it because it's what the Word of God says. But I never want anybody to come to church and think this is what this pastor always talks about as money. No, that's not what I talk about. I talk about what God hopefully has written down in Scripture and we're, we're going to work our way through and the next week we're going to you know pick up in, in chapter 10 and uh, hopefully if we get through 8 and 9 today which I think we will. But... Paul, he's talking to the Corinthians. He's writing a letter to the Corinthians from Macedonia. Now, Macedonia, remember, is poor, it's destitute, and yet Paul is taking up an offering. Paul is taking up a gift. You remember, for the sake of the study, um, Paul is going around to all of the various churches that he goes and speaks at and that he goes and plants and what have you. What he does is that he's going around, and when he takes up an offering, he's taking it up as a gift to take back one day to the city of Jerusalem, to the church that is founded in Jerusalem. It was the first church. Um, We find it there in Acts chapter 2, the first church in Acts chapter 2, where Jesus, you know, uh, or where the the Holy Spirit, like a rushing mighty wind, you know, came through in the upper room and and, uh, alighted itself upon the, the people, 120 people. On that day, and and then it goes on through Acts chapter 2, and it said, you know, 3,000 souls were added to the Lord that day, you know, and and, and then it, it talks about how the Lord multiplied, continued to multiply into the church day by day. And so the church began to grow. It, it, the genesis of the church started in Jerusalem and, and mushroomed from there and has spread out all over the world. Where you remember that back in Acts chapter 2 that the church there in, in uh, Jerusalem, that the very first church in Jerusalem, um, after Jesus had risen from the, the dead and risen up into heaven, the church began. And so here's the thing. Jesus... Um, he starts the church there and everybody is so fascinated by what has just happened that it says that the people begin to sell off all that they had in order to give unto the poor. And and where that is a great sentiment. That's a great uh, heart. It talks about a changed life. It does talk about somebody that has been radically touched by God. And... Yet, I don't see anywhere where they sought God's approval on that, where they sought God's approval on, hey, do you want us to sell everything? Now, I don't want to become very dogmatic on this, as I said last week. This is not a dogmatic point, but it is a very viable, very plausible idea here, is that the church in Jerusalem is destitute because they sold off everything that they had. They anticipated Jesus. You remember the or the uh, two angels, when everybody was sitting there watching Jesus ascend into heaven, they're sitting there looking into the clouds, and they're just blown away, which we all would be also, wouldn't we? I mean, if you saw Jesus rising up into the clouds, and, and wouldn't you be freaking out? Just looking at that, Jesus disappearing up into the clouds. It's something that, I mean, if one of you guys started levitating, you know, right Here, you walked outside and you just kind of levitated up into the clouds. That would kind of freak me out. I'd sit there and I'd be looking. I'd be, you know, is he going to fall? I don't know. Is he going to come back? I don't know. And so they're sitting there still looking at the clouds and, you know, wondering, is he coming back right now? When is he going to come back? And then the angels actually had to come to to, to all the disciples and all of the people that were gathered there. And they said, hey, why do you stand here gazing up into the clouds? And in no uncertain terms, they're saying, didn't he give you a job to do? Go and do it. Go. He'll come back in like manner as you saw him going to heaven. He'll come back in the same manner. But go and be about your father's business until he does come back. And so they were spread out from there. They were blown away at what they saw. They saw, him at just, just something that was just awesome to their eyes. And the church began and they began to give away and sell off everything that they had because Jesus could be coming back tomorrow, man. I want to give everything that I have. And so they did. They didn't ask the Lord, but they gave everything. And I I don't see that the Lord ever rebuked them either. I I don't know that it was a rebukable offense of what they did. Why am I saying all this? Because... Because they did that and because Jesus tarried and he didn't come back immediately, these people who sold off everything, they had nothing else to live on. And when Jesus took another, you know, six months, okay, he hasn't come back yet. Now a year? Hey, wait a minute. I sold the farm. (laughs) I sold everything. And how am I going to eat? I thought that he was going to, I really, seriously, I thought he was going to come back. And he didn't. Not then. Not yet. He still hasn't yet come back. And so God put it, I believe, upon Paul's heart to go and reach out to the surrounding churches, all of the known world at the time, you know, the the area that, that the church had filtered out into. And Paul was one of those that was out there taking in gifts, taking in offerings from all the other churches and saying, hey, The church, you're a church here, but you all were birthed out of this one church in Jerusalem. And man, they're destitute and they're hurting. And so can we all kind of come together and band together and give to them? Give to them? And however Paul couched it, one day he was going to take all of that and take it back into Jerusalem. And it was going to bless them, I mean, beyond. It would blow their minds what God was going to do. That's the reason why Paul is talking about in chapters 8 and 9 about giving. Because he, here he had said that um, the, the Macedonians had given far and above beyond what they had ever, that Paul ever suspected that they could ever give. He, he says, listen, I bear witness in verse 3 that according to their ability, no, no, wait, wait, even beyond their ability, they were freely willing to give. To who? to the church that was in Jerusalem. Well, Paul's going to go on and he's going to say here um, that he's telling to the Corinthians, he's saying these guys who are destitute, who have no money, they gave so much money. They gave so much. And, and, And when I say so much money, for them it was a lot. For them it was a lot. It was more. I mean, Paul was like, "Ah, you guys kind of maybe keep some of this back," and they're going, "No, they they compelled Paul to take the money. You take this. This is from us." You know, I, I kind of look at them kind of like a as a a, a a southern you know mom who cooks. You sit down and eat. You know, uh, or, or or you know a uh, 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 you know. I think of, of Latin moms that sit down and eat, or Italian my I, I think it's just moms, okay? They just sit down and eat, eat, eat. Oh, I, I'm okay, eat, you know? You know. No, but I'm not really, eat, eat. Take what I have, take it, eat it. And they just pour on food upon food upon food. My mom was like that. I'm surprised. <laughs> yeah, so here's the thing, here's the thing. The Macedonians are going, man, give, take this money. We want to help them out. And Paul's like, wow, you guys really need help yourself. But I wanted to give you the opportunity to share in the blessing, but you've blown my mind at how much you've given. You guys don't even have this kind of money to give, and yet you've given it all. And what Paul's doing is he's reiterating to the church in Corinth, which was, by the way, a very wealthy place. It was a very wealthy city. And what we're going to see here in just a second is that they were so wealthy. They were wealthy and they had committed to Paul of what they were going to give. They had said, hey, we're giving, we want to give such and such to Jerusalem. We want to give such and such of a gift. And why Paul didn't take it at the time, I don't know. It's not spoken of here. But for some reason, Paul delayed in taking that gift at the immediately Maybe because he had to go to Macedonia, and then when he was going to come back, he was going to receive the gift. I don't know. I don't know why Paul didn't take the money, but here's the thing. They committed to a certain amount of a gift, but now they committed to it, and Paul has gone on and has talked to the various other cities that he's gone to, and he says, hey, let me tell you what God has done down in Corinth. He's bragging on Corinth. He's going, these guys, they understood that there was a need... God had grabbed a hold of their life so much that even their own life was not even dear to themselves. They're giving in and of far and above. They're a wealthy city and they're giving so much. It's not just they're giving, you know, a little bit, which means it's a lot. No, they're giving over and up. They're giving sacrificially. You know, if it's, you know, a a multimillionaire, you know, let's, let's take a Bill Gates, you know, let's just consider Bill Gates. Here's a multimillionaire. He's a billionaire. You know, that's a lot of money. If he comes in, you go in and you say, well, he gave, he gave $5,000. That's a lot of money. Well, to you and I, that might be a lot of money. But to Bill Gates, that's nothing. Now, if Bill Gates goes in and goes, you know, I, I, I'm i worth $2.4 billion. Here's the thing. I'm giving $1.5 billion. That's sacrificial, wouldn't you say? That would be sacrificial. That would be a big gift. But but $5,000, i am not... Degrading that he would give five thousand great great that 's neat that 's neat, but here 's the thing you 've given five thousand, but maybe here 's somebody that that makes twenty four thousand dollars a year, and they 're having to pay their food and their rent and and their gas and their insurance and all of their expenditures that they have, and they go out there and they give you know a thousand dollars to something. They have no money left. They're giving out of everything they were. they give $5,000. Who's given more? Bill Gates or this person who makes 24,000? They give five. Both of them give 5,000. Both of them are very, you know, you know, generous gifts. But who has given more? And that's what Paul's reiterating right here. He's talking Macedonia has given so much. You have said you were going to give so much and I've gone around and I've told everybody how much you said you were going to give and now all of a sudden you're not giving it. That's what is the problem here. They've represented themselves as giving something which they are not giving. Look look at what it says. He says in verse 7 of chapter 8, he goes, listen, as you abound, you guys abound in everything, Corinth, in faith and speech and knowledge and all diligence and in your love for us see that you also abound by in this grace also in this giving that you said you were going to give now i'm not speaking by commandment i'm not saying thus saith the lord he says but i am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others for you know the grace of our lord jesus christ that though he was rich yet for your sakes he became poor that you through his poverty you might become rich And in this I give my advice to you guys. It is to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago. So they had had desired to give a year ago and for some reason Paul delayed the receiving of the gift for a year. And now he's having a hard time getting it even though they've committed it. That's what's happening. What you were desiring to do a year ago but now you must also complete the doing of it. That is there was a readiness and a de- to desire it you guys had a readiness and a desire so there also may so there also may be a completion of what you have for if there's first a willing mind it is accepted according to what one has and not according to what one does not have for i do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened but by an equality that now at this time, your abundance may supply their lack in Jerusalem, that their abundance may also supply your lack, that there may be equality, as it is written, he who gathered much has nothing left over, or had nothing left over, and he who had gathered little had no lack. But thanks be to God who puts the same earnest care for you into the heart of Titus. For he not only accepted the ex- exhortation of, but being more diligent, he went to you of his own accord. I didn't send him, is what Paul is saying. I didn't send Titus down there to you. And we have sent with him the brother who's... He, he asked you, he went and, and and exhorted you out of his own heart. We didn't ex- give him the exhortation, is what he is. And we've sent with him the brother whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches. And not only that, but who was also chosen by the churches to travel with us. With this gift, and it's talking about the gift that he's receiving from all of these churches, which is administered by us to the glory of the Lord himself and to show your ready mind. Avoiding this, that anyone should blame us in this lavish gift which is administered by us. We're going to give a big gift to Jerusalem. Providing honorable things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men and we have sent with them our brother whom we've also we have often proven uh, diligent in many uh things but now much more diligent because of the great confidence which we have in you if anyone inquires about Titus you know now basically what he's saying here is that some people are looking at Titus and going yeah well you're Titus but we want Paul down here how do we know you are you know of Paul and so if anyone inquires about Paul or about Titus, he's my partner and fellow worker concerning you guys. Or or maybe it's a brethren that you guys are inquiring about. Hey, they are our messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. Therefore, show to them and before the churches the proof of your love and of our boasting on your behalf. So what Paul's saying is that everywhere he's gone, after he was there in the church of Corinth about a year ago, he's been telling all the churches, man, this is what has happened in Corinth. They've been saved. I gave them an opportunity to give to Jerusalem. I didn't tell them they had to. I didn't say that you have to give it. But I gave them an opportunity to give. And this is what they have given. I'm going back to go get that gift from them because they were so happy to give it. But now he's going back to get it and they're not giving it. They're having a hard time giving it to Paul. And Paul's going, man, I've boasted on your behalf. That's what he was just saying there in that last uh, uh, verse, in verse 24. Therefore, show to them and before the churches the proof of your love and of our boasting on your behalf. He's going to say it again here in just a second. Verse verse 1 of chapter 9. Paul says, now concerning the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous for me to write to you. For I know your willingness, about which I boast of you, to the Macedonians. You were willing to give so much, and I boasted on your giving to the Macedonians. Kai was ready a year ago. Kai is the area where Corinth is. It was ready a year ago, and your zeal has stirred up the majority of the other churches that I've been to. That you were going to do what you did. It has stirred up all these churches to give over and above also. Yet I've sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this respect that, as I said, you may be ready. Lest if some Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to mention you, should be ashamed of this confident boasting. So what's he saying? Hey, if some of the Macedonians come down with me and we say, okay, hey, here's what we're going to do. Some of the Macedonians want to want to uh, accompany us Accompany us. To Jerusalem to give this gift. And they come down here and they hear what it is that I've been telling them about your love and about your generosity. And I come down here and say, alright, I'm ready to get it. And 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 you go, oh, we don't have it. No, we, we, we don't really have it. Um, I, I don't know, I'm kind of bring it down some. I'm, I'm not giving as much anymore. I, I said I was going to give it, but I'm not going to give it. Paul said it wasn't a commandment that you gave, but you did give the, the, the commitment that you are going to do it. Solomon says in, in, a, in a Ecclesiastes um, chapter 5, let me read it to you. In Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 4. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vowed, for it is better not to vow than to vow and not to pay. What Solomon, the wisest man ever to live, according to Jesus, what's he saying here? He's saying, you don't have to vow. It's not required that you vow. But if you vow, be sure to do what it is that you vowed to do. And so, you know, I had a a kid back when I was in Fort Lauderdale who was, you know, desperately in love with this girl, you know, he was like 19, 20 years old. And he's going, man, here's this, I... what if I make a vow to the Lord that... And he gave this silly vow in order to get this girl. And I'm going, number one, don't ever make vows in order to get a, get into a relationship, okay? Don't make a vow to the Lord. Lord, I will do this if you give me her, you know? Because what if he doesn't give you her, you know? You still have to pay your vow. It's not a this and that kind of a thing. You don't... I'm going to give you this if you give me that. And sometimes that's how some... Christians will live their life before the Lord. Lord, I'll give you this if you give me that. I'll bless you. I'll go to church. I'll give you money. I'll do these things if you give me a peaceful life and you give me a free sail. You know, free sailing in my life. No problems. Well, God never promises that. God doesn't ever promise that we aren't going to have rain in our life. In fact, some of the greatest teachers, some of the greatest Christian influences that have been in my life are those who have gone through some of the most incredible trials in their life. And never once would they have asked for those trials. And yet the Lord has allowed them to go through those trials. And through those trials, not only have they grown, but they have grown so many other people who have been on the sidelines witnessing the things they've gone through. I've grown through that. I've grown through that. And, and, and so, it's not a give and take. I'll vow something to you as long as you give me something for me. That's not, what, that's not what a vow is. A vow is a free will. You want to vow? Go ahead and vow. But if you're going to vow, pay your vow. And this guy was, well, what if I do that? Well, what if, you know, maybe God doesn't want you to be with that person. Well, I'm going to make the vow anyways. Well, know this, that if you make the vow... You've got to do it. Why would you do that? God's not calling you to... I'm not going to try to talk you out of a vow, but I want you to understand what you're getting yourself into. You're making a vow that God is not requiring. God's not saying you have to make a vow. But what God would say is, hey, if you're going to make a vow, then you've got to repay. you got to pay what your vow is. Don't do it. Don't be foolish. You know, that's what, that's what Solomon was saying. He who makes a vow and then refuses to pay it is, is a fool. Is a fool. So just don't make a vow. It's better to not make a vow than to make a vow and not pay it. And that's what's happening with, with Corinth. Corinth is, is they've made a vow, they've made a commitment, and they're having a hard time paying it. And so Paul says, when I come down there, I'm going to send some people down there, lest if some of the Macedonians come with me that will accompany me to Jerusalem to take this large gift to them, when they come down and all this boasting that I've made on you, If we come down there and you just are refusing to commit to your vow. (laughs) He says, I've sent the brethren, verse 3, lest our boasting of you should, should, should be in vain in this respect, that, as I said, you may be ready, lest if some Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to mention you, should be ashamed of this confident boasting. I've been boasting on you guys. Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your bountiful gift beforehand, which you had previously promised, that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. God never wants you to grudgingly give to him. If you think, well, I've got to give money to the Lord. Well, if that's your view, don't, don't give any money to the Lord. God doesn't need your If you think God's broke, you don't understand God. God doesn't need your money. I, I was, if I had the time, and I just haven't had time this week. I was gonna, I was gonna buy every one of us, you know, you know, some some. I like malted balls, you know. I was gonna buy you know hundred count malted balls and give them to you guys, or maybe some jelly beans, you know. And if I gave you a hundred, and then say, hey, I gave you guys all those. Can you guys give me ten of those back? You know. How many of you would go, oh, I'll gladly receive the malted milk balls from you, but to give you ten back, come on. What are you asking for? These are mine. You know, and, and the whole idea is, wait a minute, they weren't yours until I gave them to you. And and so I gave them to you, and, and are you willing to give me ten back? I, I just you know, I want to give some to more to other people. You know, I, I, I may want to eat one. <laughs> but here's the thing. What I do with it, I've given you a hundred, I'm leaving you with 90. Can I have 10? No, they're mine. And a friend of mine, Casper uh, Terry, out in California, that used to, he bought up my dad's business back when he was growing, uh, when I was growing up out there. um, He he taught his kids uh, the value of turning lights off in the house those of you who have ever had to deal this with your kids you understand and you'll it, it, you'll enjoy this this story and casper he, he basically said i'm tired of telling people to to you know not waste milk you know not waste you know juice not leave the refrigerator door on not leave the doors open not leave the lights on in the house you guys all have to take you know responsibility and his kids were like under 10 i think is what they were he had 3 of them and Three of his kids were below 10 years old, and, and he said, so here's what we're going to do. I'm every, every month, I'm going to give you guys $100 each, $100 each. And I got it for you guys today, and he set them down at a dinner table, and he gave each one of them a stack of $100, of, of $1 bills of $100 and they're going, oh, this is so cool. You're the coolest dad in the whole wide world, daughter, daughter. He goes, oh, no, no, no. You guys, can have, um, you guys can have all the money. But here's the thing. We all, I mean, this is, we're all going to do this. Now, here's the electric bill. And <laughs> He brings it out. Now, mom and I are going to pay this amount, but we need you guys to chip in. So I'm going to need $32 from every one of you. And, and he went through all the bills in the house. And by the time they got down to where they had $2 left, They were crying. And they were You're no fair. I hate you. You know, what all the different things that a kid would do, you know? And and yet he was teaching them the value. He was just going, Now, would you please, for mercy's sake, shut the lights off in the house, you know? And and he taught them a lesson. It's something that has stuck with me. But here's the thing. Paul, he's talking to the to the Corinthians, he's saying you vowed something, you're not giving it, and, and so we've got a problem. We've got a problem. You, I want you to give, but I don't want you to give grudgingly. I don't want you to go, oh, I've got to give this amount of money. Wait a minute. This was a year ago you were going, I gladly give you, I give this because something has happened in their life. Something has happened in their life. All of us are familiar with uh, probably the most famous Christmas story other than the Christmas story of, of Christ but a movie and, and a Christmas book that um, we're all probably pretty familiar with give me give me probably what you would think the most famous Christmas story would be other than obviously the birth of Christ. what would you huh Wonderful life. What did you say? Christmas carol. Bing, bing, bing. Christmas carol. Charles Dickens. Charles Dickens. Christmas carol. We understand the story. You remember? And for sake of time, we understand Ebenezer Scrooge. He's Scrooge. You know. You know, when you hear Ebenezer Scrooge, you know, that just sounds disgruntled, right? And, and, and so... You know the story. You know that he with Cratchit, you know, he's just a, he's just a, a, you know, a mean guy. He's a mean boss. And then he's visited, you know, by the three angels or the three spirits. You remember the, you know, Christmas past, Christmas present, and Christmas future, you know. The past shows his life in all the... Wonderful growing up that he had and the love that he had in his life before it was taken away from him and the next thing you know his present you know so he saw his past then he gets into his present he sees he's he's disgruntled now because that which was a love of his life was taken from his life and now he's disgruntled and then they go into the christmas future and it shows his death he's dead he's gonna die and and he he wakes up to this realization that I'm gonna die. Please don't let that be. Please don't let it be. That's okay. They don't like the Christmas Carol story. Um, the Wiseman's no. They they have an open house that they got to go to right now. Um, they they you you know the story. He wakes up with this regret. He wakes up to this remorse. He wakes up to this repentance. <laughs> Please don't let it be. I want to live! I want to live! I want to live! And he wakes up and he's alive, what happens to him? Something's radical's happened to him, didn't it? It's a story of redemption. The whole picture of a Christmas carol is really a Christian story of redemption. Here, you've given an opportunity. It's, a, it's an opportunity to see what your life will be if you continued on this road. But here's the thing that you have been given life, even another day, use it for the glory of the Lord. And here's the thing He opens up his, his window. Hey, little boy, what day is today? Oh, well, it's, it's Christmas, sir. Hey, is that Christmas goose still in the window? Oh, the huge one that's bigger than I am that costs more than anybody makes in this town? Yes, that's the one. Here, go and buy it. Here's some money and I'll even give you more when you come back, you know. And and he's so, something has changed. Something changed in his life. He recognized who he used to be and what he had become and now he had something brand new in his life and he wanted his whole life radically changed from that day forward, didn't it? It's the same kind of a picture of redemption for you and I. Before you became a Christian, before I became a Christian, I I was living my life. I might even have had some happy times in my life. But the thing is, when I came to Christ, when I recognized what Christ has saved me to and from, here's the thing, my life radically changed. Something happened in my life. Something happened in the Macedonians' life. Something happened in the Corinthians' life. Something happened in your life. And the thing is, is that don't ever lose that. The problem that we have in our life as Christians is that we can lose the understanding of what we have been saved from and what we have been saved to. We have heaven to look forward to. We have a life before us. Christ has set us free. We once were shackled in, in the, the, the chains of hell and Christ set us free. He broke those chains. We're going to go to heaven because of what Christ has done. And here's the thing. It happened to the Corinthians and they were so exuberant. They were, My goodness, anything. And they, they offered... And now they've begun to go on with their life for a little bit, and they've begun to settle into their Christian life. They begin to allow some of the things that were a part of their old life back into the church, as we look in First and Second Corinthians, they begin to allow some of the old lifestyle to be back into their life. and it causes a problem. as it causes me a problem, as it causes you a problem. And so here's the thing. Paul's going, "Don't let it die." And I encourage you, if there's a message here today for you, it's this. Remember the days when you got saved. Remember the days where the Lord had grabbed a hold of your life, where you recognized that, man, I once was lost yesterday. I woke up and I was going to hell. Today, Christ saved my soul. I'm going to heaven. No matter what happens in my life, it's, it can't be so bad that even if I die today, it might be the best day of my life because I'm going to go to heaven. There's, what can life do to me now? What can anything do to me now? I've got heaven in front of me. And your life and outlook in life just radically changed because Christ set you free. Because Christ came in. He stepped in. He stepped in. He stepped in with the Corinthians and they began to settle back in. Let me just finish right here. He says, you know, I don't want you to give... I want your giving to be a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. Because last year it was generosity. I don't want it to be grudging obligation now. He's not saying it's grudging obligation yet, but he's saying, I don't want it to be that. Verse 6, but this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who s- who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So le- let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or as of necessity, For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. As it is written, he who is dispersed abroad has given to the poor. His righteousness remains forever. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness, Corinth and Christians here in Calvary Chapel. While you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God for the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also the abounding through many thanksgiving to God. But also is bounding through many thanksgivings to God. While though the proof of this ministry while through the proof of this ministry they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all men and by their prayer for you who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And what he's saying here is he's saying the gift that you're giving to them, they're giving back to you in prayer. They love that you have been liberal to them and and that you've given to them liberally. And they are giving back to you spiritually. They love you and they're praying for you and they're, they're thankful for you. You are the medium by which God has used to rescue their sacrifice, their sacrificial giving. You've done that. You've come to their aid. And it's a very lucrative, it's a very large gift. But you know what? There are people that have sold their farms. There are people that have sold their homes. There are people that have sold their businesses. And this large gift is going to go back and help some of these to get on their feet. This is the church, Paul's saying, radically saved, that is coming together and it's helping to minister where there is need from those who have to give to those who have not, and those who have not to give to those who have. It's the church. It's God's design. It's what Paul is trying to articulate to the Corinthians and what he's trying to articulate to you and I. Giving is not simply to pad the pockets. It's it's not to pad the not simply, it's not to pad the pockets of a of a pastor. It's not to and, and we see too many abuses of that today. And to that my heart grieves. And what that does is that puts a black eye on the church. That puts a black eye on Christ. That's not what giving is for. Giving is to minister. Giving is to minister to a church. It's to minister to those who are hurting in the church. I'm proud of the way that you guys give. I'm proud of the way that you guys minister. We're a small church. And we do some cool things, man. Because of you. And that's a great thing. And I applaud you for that. I want you to just know that, hey, God God sees, God knows. And giving is just a a byproduct of what Christ has already given to us. We give to him because he first gave to us. Amen? Father, thank you so much for today. And Lord, thank you for this time that we've spent here today. We pray, Lord, that... um, The subject, which is a difficult subject to talk about, especially in light of the way that people view money today. I pray, Lord, that it has made some sense here today. I pray that you have made sense through me. Anything that I've said that was of my own flesh, God, erase from all of our memories because we don't need that. God, we just need to grow from you. We need to know what it is that you want us to be, what it is that you want us to know how it is that you want us to live, how it is that you want us to form and fashion the warehouse in our minds, moral, spiritual, emotional warehouses in our brain and our hearts that cause us to do or not do the very things that you want us to do or not do. Form and fashion us in the manner in which you desire to form and fashion us. Lord, we do want to continue to lift up Little Lily, grace to you. And we pray, God, that you would just bless the child coming into the world today. Give safety to mom, mommy and baby. May this be a glorious day for them. Lord, we thank you for bringing Pastor Kevin and John O home and for the many stories that we're going to be able to hear from them next week. Can't wait to hear. And Lord, for Bert and Nancy and Hannah as they've taken off here from us today, Lord, I pray, God, that... They've been going through it with their houses and what have you. We pray, Lord, that you would you would sell their home. You would just bless them, blow their socks off, Lord, in selling their home and, and getting the proper home under their feet and, and, and help them to move into a place that gives them a, a, that settles them where you desire them to be. Lord, help them to continue to have peace in you as they do. Thank you, God, for their witness and their, their, uh, Well, they're witness to us, Lord. So, Lord, we thank you, God, for today. And we pray, Lord, that this message uh, will work its way into our into our hearts, our minds, the way that we do things, the way that we see things, Lord. You have saved us. What do we have that you can use? Lord, use it. But, Lord, let us first go to you and seek you and your face on whether or not you desire us to go down that road. Help us to seek your face on how we give and who we give to. And then, Lord, as we do, may we do it cheerfully and not grudgingly. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Hey, thanks for listening. So, did Jesus cause a change in you today? Or do you need prayer? We'd love to hear from you. Please contact us by visiting our website at calvarychapelcf.com or call our office at 941-926-3717. That's 941-926-3717. Again, thanks for listening to In the Word with Pastor Don.